So we are finishing this sermon series. We've been talking about the human body, and we're talking today about death. And that's appropriate, because it's kind of a one-for-one human body, human death thing going on in the world. Or as we like to say, the death rate is hovering right around 100%. Uh, so, but that, the reality of that and the inevitability of that does not necessarily mean that we do death well. There are things in our world that uh, have really distanced us from the reality of death. Um, one is modern medicine. So if we were growing up in colonial America, uh, one in three children would die before adulthood. Over 30%. The children would die. And the children who did survive to adulthood, many of their parents did not. Life expectancy was something like 40 years back then. And, and so uh, the children who did survive, they, maybe their parents didn't until, you know, before they were adults. And so there was a lot more death. And then re- really right up until more recent times, people often died in their homes. So you would see grandparents or parents would die in the home. Today, most death happens in hospitals happens in nursing or medical-type facilities. So we, it's out of, death is really out of sight in ways for us today um, because of modern medicine and, 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 and those things. We don't, we don't see it. But also, in a lot of ways, it's out of our minds because we live in a world that is increasingly uh, very secular and materialistic, which means that people believe that this material world is all there is. So the goal of life, therefore is self-fulfillment and pleasure. These are very high values in our world. And these kind of, this kind of way of thinking can creep into our own minds. And we get really focused on the here and now. And we can put out of, it's easy to put out of mind issues about leaving this world. Because in the, in the secular worldview, the, you know, the end of life, is, it's meaningless. It's just a, sensation, a cessation. It's a cutting off, ceasing to exist. So it's out of sight and it's out of mind, and that can lead to what's been called uh, a hiddenness of death. And his author, uh, a, a physician named Atul Gawande, he wrote a book called Being Mortal a number of years ago. It's a fantastic book, not written from a Christian perspective, but through the eyes of faith, as you read a book like that, it really is um, helps us to understand what it means to be mortal and to understand death, and I highly recommend it. It's a great book. Uh, but for us, today, we're going to take a look at Psalm 90. And we're going to allow God's word to shape our understanding of, of life and of death and of human death. Um, this Psalm 90 is very commonly read at funerals, although often skips the part about God's wrath. We're not going to skip that part. Um, but there's that great line in the psalm. It says, teach us to number our days, that we might have hearts of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Really, essentially, the, the psalm is answering the question, okay, if there's the inevitability of death, then what, what is the purpose and meaning? How do I live out my days in light of, of that reality of my impending death? So, so we're going to take a look at that. Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses. So this, uh, these writings go all the way back to the time of the wilderness wanderings. So it was Remember, during the, the, that time where God's people were wandering in the wilderness, it was the, a whole generation of, of these people died. And so death was uh, very much in their face and very much in their minds. Uh, it was very much a life and death kind of a situation. So, uh, so that's, uh, we're going to use that to kind of frame our understanding of this. So since we're all going to die, we should probably pray. Let us pray. Lord, uh, we, we come again to a subject that is 
again, hard and, and perhaps heavy, depending on what we've come here with and what we're dealing with personally or with loved ones or what we've experienced in our past. So once again, we just pray protection, spiritual protection during this time, uh, but also may this be a time of spiritual growth and learning and understanding your will and your way. So um, Lord, we just, we just humbly commit ourselves to you, um, trusting your goodness to teach us. And so we pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So a little outline through Psalm 90. We're going to, I'll give you a, a kind of a starting point, an orienting point, uh, starting point, and then a ending point, and then finish with how do we live in between kind of the starting and ending point. So the starting point is God. Look at verse 1. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The the whole orienting point, the starting point of thinking about life and death is God because God is eternal, because God holds all of creation and life and death in his hands. And this is key to our understanding of life and death is to put the focus, the, the focus does not start on ourselves, but on God. And that can be very difficult, especially if you are facing death or facing your own death, that, to, to think beyond yourself. But that is the proper starting point. And here the language is that the Lord is our dwelling place, which is interesting. Because remember, this is Moses, and God had showed them how to build that kind of a special tent, a special gathering of, of worship place where God's presence would be known. But it wasn't that that was the dwelling, it's that God himself was the dwelling of his people, that they lived in light of who he was. They lived in light of his, um, of his sovereignty, really. And throughout scripture, Romans 14 says that whether we live or we die, that we are the Lord's possession, that our life exists within God. Um, Acts 17, in, in him we live and move and have our being. I mean, this is, this is all of who we are is wrapped up in all of who God is. And the great thing about that is the love of God is the one thing that you can never lose. So in Roman, Romans 8 says that not life or death can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, you know, those who the Father gave to him, nothing can snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said. So we are so firm and secure, even in life and death. That is, God's love is eternal and, and with us always. So, but without those things, without the love of God, for those who have not, by faith, experienced that, um, yeah, we can feel when we start thinking about you know, the purpose of life and then the potential meaninglessness of death. I mean, that can be very uh, frightening. It could make you feel kind of homeless. But if, our, if God is our dwelling, we can be secure because he's the author of life. So that's our starting point. That's where we orient ourselves. The ending point is death. So verse, verses three through verses three through five or three through six here describe this as you turn people back to dust, saying, "Return to dust, you mortals." A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up, but by evening it is dry and withered. I mean, this is the reality of death in the reality that God brings death. We think of God, he is eternal. We are very brief. He is immortal. We are 
very much mortal. So life on this side of death is limited. And we can, and that's, okay, so that's the reality that we just prefer to ignore. We'd like to live life as if we just had all kinds of time and it was kind of unlimited, but that is not the reality. And Scripture says that in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it says death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take this to heart. So if you're alive, you should take to heart the reality that our ending point, our, our destiny is human death. And then in verses 7 through 9, we see not just the reality of death, but the cause of death. Look at verse 7. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All our days pass under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. That there is a deep connection between death and sin. You're calling this sermon series by design, how God designed the world. But we need to remember that death is not God's design. Death is an intrusion into the world because of human rebellion against God's way. That sin, as Romans um, puts it clearest, it says the wages of sin is death. That physical death is a, um, it, it's, it shows, it's an outward demonstration of eternal separation from God and at our physical death uh, for that it only gets that separation only gets worse it only becomes of a, a, a wider separation unless we're rescued unless God's saving grace intervenes death of course would be terrifying we should be afraid of death but here's the good news Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that in Christ, though we die, we go on to live. As Paul said to Timothy, life and immortality are brought to light through the gospel. Romans 6, 5 says, if we have been united with him, with Christ, if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we are united to Jesus because Jesus died, but he rose to new life, that same, if we are associated with him, then we will be raised as well. Death is a great enemy, but death is a defeated enemy because of the work of Jesus. For the Christian, the sting of death has been pulled out. And God's grace has intervened. So the day of your death is is really a day of, uh, it's an appointment with the Lord to be in his presence. To, to be in the place that was prepared for us, to enter his rest. So death is bad, but through faith we will be with Christ. And as Paul said, to, to leave this body and to be present with Christ is better by far. It's better than anything. So death is an enemy, but a defeated enemy. So the, death can seem like a temporary victory in the life of a believer, but we go on to live. The, the famous... A Chicago minister, D.L. Moody, he said this. He said, pretty soon in the Chicago papers, you're going to read that Dwight Moody is dead, but don't you believe it. I will be more alive then than I am right now. So our, our, that the trajectory is for all of us is death. So how do we face death? I would say, I would put it simply to just die naturally. 
there's two extremes that we can fall into when we think about our death. And in different situations, these can become more problematic. The one on the one end would be unnecessarily prolonging life. And on the other hand would be hastening death. Those are both extremes to be avoided. On the prolonging life side, unnecessarily and almost unnaturally, um, religious people, and Gawande's book talks a bit about this, religious people can sometimes be the worst at that. Uh, they will go to extremes, uh, futile extremes, unnecessary extremes to prolong life. Why? Well, there's two things that are good. One is we believe in the sanctity of life, that life is good and it should be preserved and healed as as it can be. And the second belief of faith is that um, people believe in miracles. And sometimes they will seek to prolong life because they value life and they think that God can intervene and heal. And we do believe those things are true. But here's my advice. God doesn't need your help to perform miracles. That's why we call it a miracle because you cannot do it and you cannot bring it about. And God does miraculously heal, but he doesn't, need your, he doesn't need you to give him some bonus time to accomplish that. And it really is medical technology has created this, these problems for us. And medical technology is amazing, and it's beautiful, and it does help preserve life. And it allows doctors to have time to try to understand what is going on in the human body and how to best treat it. But this same technology, as good as it is, can really blur the line between life and death where people can be on these machines that you know, keep a heart beating, uh, that can keep lungs moving, but yet that person is very much dead. Um, we was, was, had a long conversation with a friend this week who uh, is a respiratory therapist and deals with this all the time. There could be two people on respirators lying next to each other, and they look exactly the same, but one of them is in a process of healing and life being restored. The other is in a process of dying. But they look exactly the same, and it can be hard to, to know what is the proper next step. And I remember, I remember a couple of years ago when my father was dying. and Dad was in the hospital, and it was COVID season. They wouldn't let us visit him, and um, he, was, he had a... a device that was helping him breathe. But without that device, he could not breathe on his own. And we saw him suffering and struggling. And, and the nurse, I was with my sisters, and the nurses were on the phone with them, and they're, they're asking us, you know, what do you want us to do? How do we handle this? And, you know, because we knew that if this device was removed, that he very likely would die. And so um, we, we said, well, you know, what does he want? And, and fortunately for us that he was able to ask to have this device removed from him. And he died very quickly after that, just in a few, a few minutes. But it was an excruciating um, process. And some of you have been through that. And, have, and I've been with some of you when, that's, when, when we're praying through that and seeking God's will in those moments where, you know, where, you know, is this person even really living and alive other than this, you know, this technology? And um, so this technology can create these problems. So it's, it's good, but it, it puts us in a tough place. But we want to avoid the extreme of just, um, j- just keeping a heart beating or just if there is no hope for healing at that point and, and, and being realistic about the reality of death. On the flip side, we also don't want to hasten death. Uh, there is uh, what's called 
what I would call assisted suicide or physician-assisted suicide. Sometimes they call it physician-assisted death because they don't want to use the word suicide, although I think that's the appropriate word. Um, I, I was in a class. I took a suicide prevention class through my work as a chaplain with the fire department. So I was in this a two-day suicide prevention training. And they started the class off. They said, okay, we're going to be talking about suicide and just want you to know that, you know, sometimes at the end of life, if somebody has a terminal illness, they may choose to end their life. And that's something totally different. That's not what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about something very different. And I raised my hand. And I said, actually, I, I don't believe that. I actually think those things are, what we're talking about is quite similar. And, um, and I was the only chaplain in the class, too. So it was um, to look at this a little bit more through the eyes of faith. Um, but this, the notion of, of um, this assisted death or assisted suicide is, is very accepted for Americans. Um, it's legal in 10 states, and I would expect that would likely grow in the years to come. 2020 Gallup poll, 74%, nearly three-quarters, 74% of U.S. adults say that doctors should be allowed to end the life of a patient with an incurable disease. Um, so I would, so I'm in, a, I'm in a small minority there where I actually disagree with that. That we believe that it's never okay to kill or to help someone kill themselves. It's, um, from a Christian perspective, the dying process is the, is the last part of the living process. So someone who is dying is still living and therefore we would protect their life just the same as anyone else, and respect their life um, that we would for all human beings. And someone might say to me, they say, well, you're, you're saying that you'd want someone to be in pain and to be on these machines and these tubes. Like, you wouldn't want that. Nobody would want that. Why wouldn't you just um, let them choose? And that's not what this is. That's not... You don't need to live on machines and tubes and medical treatment. You can, it's, somebody could decide or a family could decide to forego medical treatment. That's very different than when we're, that's very different than hastening death. Uh, than a doctor, uh, you know, killing a patient or helping a patient kill themselves. Um, we don't need to live on machines. There's other options for allowing someone to die without hastening their death un unnecessarily. And honestly, pain, you know, would you want to prolong someone's pain? Pain isn't usually the issue. Um, a report by the, the National Institute of Health notes that in published studies, pain is not a dominant motivating factor for patients seeking physician-assisted suicide. The reasons for seeking to die are usually depression, hopelessness, issues of dependency, and loss of control or autonomy. And those are a lot of the same reasons that people would um, attempt suicide at, at any stage of their life. The article uh, says this, that I, this information was in. The article says, what has shifted both within the medical community and society more generally is the rising importance of individual autonomy. Autonomy that is the right to self-determination, has always been a central consideration in bioethical decision-making, but is now treated as the preeminent ethical value. 
So the highest ethical value is the self-determination. But remember, our starting point isn't, isn't that I am a self-determined, that I'm a self-determinate being, but that my life is in God's hands. That my starting place is that God holds life and death. That we, this is not in our hands. I mean, the reality is we all are under a sentence of death. We're all terminal cases, every one of us. The only difference between us and somebody who's received a terminal diagnosis is that their sentence is, barring a miracle, their sentence is happening in a shorter time frame or shorter than they would have wanted. And there are other options. I would, I would say a, a one way to die well would be through process like hospice and those kind of hospice services. Again, this is... Um, there, are, there is this balance between the quality of life and quantity of life. You know, there could be a medical intervention or a machine or a surgery that could prolong your life maybe a few more days or, or months, but at what cost of the, the side effects of that or the, the reality of, of healing? And some people choose to say, look, I'm not going to get that procedure. I want to, I'm okay to just die naturally. And, and there's comfort that can be given in that time, it gives time to accept the reality of death, to have better quality of time with family if possible. And it is not suicide. And, I, and I've heard, even, even in this church, I've heard people say, look, if you don't receive a medical treatment that could prolong your life, you're killing yourself. And I say, no, that is cruel to say that. That is unfair to people making very difficult decisions um, where there comes a point when you say, no, we're not going to keep doing these interventions that are not going to ultimately prolong life in any significant way and that it's okay to accept death as the outcome. And, 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 I, and I've seen people make, been with a lot of people who've made those choices. I'm in these types of hospice settings at homes and in facilities all the time. And it can be a very beautiful and sacred time um, to, to, to know that death is the outcome and to, be, um, and to accept that, embrace that. So there's no easy blueprint. So this technology that can keep people alive was not around, uh, obviously, not around time of Scripture. So there's no little flow chart. It's like if your body's responding this way or if this is this kind of surgery, you should try it or not try it. Um, but there are guiding principles. The first is faith, that we trust Jesus. When we're facing these life and death kind of questions that we just turn to God and say, God, what do you want me to do with my time and my body and my resources and my limited time? Um, or, or on behalf of my loved one, those same prayers of faith. So we always trust the Lord in this. We do uphold the sanctity of life. That's another guiding principle, that life is worth saving and it healing. But remember that there is no medical intervention that can give you eternal life. Not yet. But not ever. There is no medical intervention that can give you eternal life. And God does not need us to pursue all these interventions, especially futile intervention, to uh, accomplish his good purposes. The other guiding principle is that God is the one with the authority over life and death. And this is in his hands, and we need to remember that and focus on that. And so I was reading an account of, of a man who was, his wife was dying, she had a terminal illness, and he was trying to help her um, think about eternity and think about her faith. And this is what he said about his wife. 
He said Mary couldn't focus on eternity or talk about it because there were so many Christians around her telling her she was going to be healed. Well-intentioned but poorly informed brothers and sisters who try to deflect people from thinking about death or who hold out constant hope of healing keep them so occupied with matters of this world that they neither have the time nor the energy to think about the, the next world. They succeed only in robbing their loved ones of the enormous comforts of the gospel as they step into eternity. We need to be real about this. We need to accept the fact that this is in God's hands and it's okay to think about these things. It's okay to accept it. And the other guiding principle is hope in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So those who have died in him, Jesus died and rose again, we will die and rose again. We always hold that hope and that will also guide how we approach these types of difficult situations. But they are incredibly difficult. So our, our starting point is outside of ourselves. Our starting point is God. The ending point is, is death. Now, how do we live in between? I want to give you four words uh, to, to think about living in this with the reality of our impending death. Theologian J.I. Packer said, only when you know how to die can you know how to live. That's the beauty of Psalm 90, because it just lays it out. Hey, here's the reality of death. But here's how we can live. Here's four words. The first word is wisdom, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You've got, let us be realistic about, about these things. So, so not only is my time limited, but I also realize my time is allotted to me, that God has given me these days, and therefore there is opportunity, there is possibility in those days to live and to know God's will. And that's why when people heal or they have a near-death experience, they get really reinvigorated to, to, to live with wisdom. I, for me, this winter, I was, I was very sick. I, the, based on my symptoms and what I was experiencing, it could have been really, really bad, or it could be something that was very treatable. In my case, it happened to be something that was really treatable, but we started to think about these things that could have been really bad. And life-threatening. And you better believe. I, and I feel good now. I have my strength back. I feel good. I want to get in a fight. Um, but I want to live. And God, God, God could have taken me. And he didn't. So he's got a purpose for me. And we're going to live that out. And he's a purpose for you. So wisdom. Uh, second, faith. The second word is faith. Verse 13. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. This is a call on God's mercy. It's a call on God's compassion. It's his love. You know, apart from that, apart from our faith, death is really bad. So quote me on that. Pastor JP says, apart from faith, death is really bad. The best way you can prepare for your death is to live in faith. Walk each day with the Lord in faith. And then when your death comes, you're going to walk right into eternity. Being led by the same God who led you through all your days. Um, on, on this side of death, and he'll lead you all the way home. And, and we remember this verse from Ecclesiastes 12. It says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. The, the principle is, 
Pursue faith now, not when you get older or when you're near your death. There was a doctor reading an interview with a doctor, and he said, look, he was a Christian. He said, my patients, when I give them a terminal diagnosis, if they were not people of faith, they don't often come to faith in that moment. They just just kind of double down on their disconnection from God. He said, also, my patients who have faith, when they receive the terminal diagnosis, they continue to walk in faith through that. It doesn't, it, that doesn't change things. And it's the same for all of us, that we all, again, we all have that terminal diagnosis in one way or another. So we walk in faith today. That's faith. So wisdom, faith, joy. Verses 14 and 15, I love this. Ready? Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. I love that. That's so realistic. Make us glad for as many days as you afflicted us. Look, a lot of life is, uh, there, there is trouble and there's hardship and there's illness and there's chronic pain. And we say, God, give me, give me joy to match the pain. You know, give me, give me a lightness to match the burden that you've placed on me. And it's just so beautiful that life can still have joy even though we, we face um, we will face death. So wisdom, faith, joy, and lastly, purpose. Verses um, 16, verse 16 and 17 here. But verse 16, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. It's about thinking about the next generation. Because you're not going to find all your purpose and meaning in life just in your own individual thing that we live as a community and we, we seek to extend life to the next generation and that's why we as a church, this is a high priority to grow young and to disciple our children and our youth and to, to welcome youth in, in, um, into our church. So, and, and also as a blessing to the next generation, be ready for your own death. You know, have, a, have a will. Have, give somebody you know, the durable power of attorney and advanced directives and, so that when that moment comes for you that they can help you and they know what your wishes are. You know, plan your funeral. And I can help you do that. I plan funerals all the time. Um, so, <laughs> Midwood used to say when somebody would ask him, like, Pastor, you know, would you be willing to do my funeral? And he would always say, I'm available on Wednesday. <laughs> but it's okay to plan. Let's plan the whole thing. What songs do you want? What scripture do you want? How do you want people to gather and remember at the time of your death? Because we're all going to have one. So remembering the next generation, those are all gifts to, to be realistic about this for, for those who, go, who will survive us. Um, but also verse 17, you know, living with purpose, um, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That um, Again, the end of this beautiful psalm isn't a prayer for greatness or fame. It's a prayer that, God, whatever I put my hands to, establish it so that it might have purpose, that our daily work can have enduring value all we put our hand to. You know, and sometimes that's hard. You say, but, you know, my life is, I, I live with illness, or I feel like my life is just one doctor appointment to the next follow-up to the next appointment. You say, no, God still use, if he's given you these days, you're going to use it for his glory. He, he has a purpose in it. And we just ask God to establish the work of our hands that it has eternal value. So our starting point is God. He is our dwelling place. He holds our life. Our ending point is death, which, yes, is an enemy, but it's a defeated enemy. So in faith, we, we pass through death and we go on to live. 
And then we live the life in between with wisdom, faith, joy, and purpose. Let us pray. Father, our prayer is the prayer of Psalm 90, that you would teach us to number our days rightly, that we might have hearts of wisdom. So Lord, I pray a special blessing over those who are facing um, difficult diagnoses for, for themselves or for those that they love, and especially for those who are near the end of, of this life, Lord. We just pray uh, that your gospel, the good news, would be embraced and lived out, and the hope that we have in you will be held tightly in these days, Lord. And we thank you that in you we do have hope beyond the grave. We praise you. It's all because of the work of your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.